Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast. I am Kenny Oak, joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Harris. And today, we're talking about the very last episode of WCW Nitro. We kind of talked about this before in our previous episode. We talked about how we wanted to get into talking about not just this episode, but WCW as a whole and WCW Nitro as a whole. So I'm pretty excited about this this episode, talking about this historic landmark moment in wrestling history. How, how about you, Chris? In fact, how are you doing today, Chris? I'm pretty good. This is Sean Waltman here. Pretty excited to be mm-hmm. to be on the podcast with you. So get you out. Oh, oh, really? We're doing this right now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That, that, that's not me. I, I just wanted a reaction out of you to see what would happen. And you got one. I okay. hope you're happy. Okay. You got pissed. Answer, anyway. answer my question. Anyway, I am good, bubs. Good to be back doing another weekly. We've been staying on a pretty good pace. So let's try to maintain it. And we're talking about Nitro, episode 288. And it's the last one. And it was... Uh, not a good one, but I mean, there's some stuff in here that's pretty good to talk about, but more for the memory is really why we're doing this one. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of nostalgia that goes into uh, watching an older uh, wrestling show like this, watching the very last WCW show ever, uh, and really there was a lot of nostalgia uh, at the at the time, watching at the time, because they, they tried to make it as much of a fan-friendly you know, wrestling show as they could, knowing it was their last show. And there was definitely a lot of fan service uh, in the episode itself. Oh, right. The, the only heel that actually gets a win is Sean Stasiak, and that match was god-awful anyway. So there was definitely a show for the crowd, the, the kind of going out good type feeling as best they could. There's really not a lot of good feelings in this at all. But driven by nostalgia, everybody was sad, especially Ric Flair. Oh my God! We'll, yeah, we'll get into that. That was, but yeah, I this love one, it. This one, this one was not driven by great match work. Although you definitely get to see some of that in the cruiserweight stuff, but driven by nostalgia and kind of trying to go out with a bang as best they could. Right, and uh, the the lead up to this episode, you know, for years, for the last like two or three years, uh, WCW was really starting to just tank. Uh, the quality of production was was just abysmal uh the booking was abysmal and they saw a lot of their fan base just leave in droves to either wwe or to just stop watching wrestling altogether i know i was one of those that just at the time stopped watching it altogether just because it was so terrible uh and luckily somehow i guess I heard through the grapevine that this was going to be the last Nitro, but really, if I remember correctly, I just happened to tune into it. I remembered, hell yeah, Monday Nitro used to play on Mondays. Let me, you know, let me look to see if it's on tonight, and it happened to be this last episode. So it was a pretty cool moment for me to be able to watch it live, uh, and, and just the way that they left it off made you made you feel like there was going to be a little bit more. But that's something that we'll get into once we get to that point in the show. Right, and for me, I had been, I don't want to say pushed away, but 99, 2000, 2001, WWF was really good. They did very few things wrong, and I was a big Rock fan, and that was his peak, so I was, I still watched WCW randomly here and there, but I really no longer cared about some of the guys. They really didn't care about the storylines. I just watched it because I just liked to watch matches at that point because I was just a little kid and didn't really care so much about the stuff. But at this point, they they had begun to tank. Obviously, they well, well before this, they began to tank. But this was 
the uh, the culminating event of terrible booking of wrestlers running the show of bad decision making and all that coming together and uh, one of the main reasons for because you know it was definitely losing the monday night war to wwe raw at the time but it was still pulling in very solid numbers pulling in numbers that are higher than what raw is pulling in now so you had to think that the company was still our company as in Turner Broadcasting Network, uh, I think it was actually TNT that it was playing on, had to have been bringing in a good amount of money, uh, some good sponsorships too, just because of the amount of viewers they were getting. And uh, you had the merger between Time Warner and AOL, and AOL really did not want anything to do with any kind of wrestling show on the network. So that really, even though they were most likely going to be pulling in a lot of money just due to sponsorships and ratings alone... They just they wanted nothing to do with this product. It, it was a toxic, uh, toxic company, wrestling company, and they just wanted out of it. Right, and I think no no support from the top corporation like that, the very top. I think just quickly worked its way down, and everyone from the the bookers to the people calling matches to everyone in the back realized that there wasn't much support uh, on top of them. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the motivation went down. Bad decisions started to come up. People started leaving, and again, here we are. And so uh, how about we just go ahead and uh, jump into this this behemoth of a show. And really, it wasn't all that behemoth of a show. It was only, I think, watching on the WWE Network, it clocked in at like an hour and 28 minutes. Super short. Yeah, and which, you know, Nitro had switched three hours in the last from like 98 on i believe mm-hmm. and so yeah this was this was definitely not a long show because it because it correlated with and they they mentioned this a whole bunch and it was a part of the opening uh promo given by vince mcmahon this was going to be simulcast alongside wwe raw and you were going to have different moments that had and you know you're watching you're watching WCW and you're you're seeing segments from the WWE Raw show, which included the very first segment, which was the Vince McMahon promo, where he, you know, the infamous, you know, he he says he's got, you know, he bought his competition, he's got his competition in the palm of his hands. Mm-hmm. Very powerful promo too. I really liked it because finally we get to see, as a true fan of WWE more than I was of WCW, it was kind of like a final ending, and I didn't know so much care about WCW at the time, so it was. Good to see, I guess, from my perspective. Yeah, and I, I remember watching it, you know, when we were kids, when it happened live, and just being like, you know, just thinking, is this is this really the end for WCW? They they keep talking about how he, you know, bought the company, and in my mind, I thought, you know, are they going to continue making mm-hmm. WCW product after this? Uh, because in my head, I thought, you know, everyone loves wrestling. Why are they just going to get rid of a wrestling show? Yeah. And, you know, you hear afterwards that there were talks about starting a WCW brand, and it was all predicated on Booker T and Buff Bagwell having a good match mm-hmm. on Raw, and, and they didn't. Ooh, they did not. They did not have a good match at all. And so this was definitely the last time we were going to see WCW. But, yeah, that opening promo by Vince, and Vince is one of the best in the business of all time. You know, giving promos, you know, that, that heel persona that he developed since the Montreal screw job. And, you know, this was one of his just one of his defining moments as a not only as a, a booker 
or not only as the president and CEO of this company, but as an on-air talent also. And you can see that a lot of the crowd throughout the his promo in the back and even when he came out to the ring, they cheered the fact that he bought his competition to a point. But then when he continued to gloat, Vince would like intentionally beat them back down because he was forcing this heel character and this, this arrogance that he had. But the crowd even was like, shit, okay, no more WCW. We won then. Like the diehard fans were the ones cheering. You can, you can hear him when he's out there in the ring especially. Yeah, and just as a whole, you know, you want no one better to start this episode than Vince McMahon. Right. Because there's no other way to go about this just because of the magnitude and the importance of the moment. You know, they were on the brink of being defeated by WCW. He stayed the course. He stuck to his guns, and he is, you know, he's beaten his biggest foe ever, and it was and bought them out. And it, it it has to be such a, you know, empowering feeling that you are starting your competition show. You're on their show. They they're only having this last show because. You know, you're allowing them to basically. It's the ultimate power that oh, he yeah. holds in his hands. I honestly think, regardless of what Vince ever says, he had to probably have the biggest smile. Maybe not showing it, but the biggest feeling of glee when he actually signed paperwork, and it was like, <laughs> yes. and, it, and it was official. And he knew that within a couple of days they were going to work the simulcast thing on two different networks at the same time and two different shows. And Vince was going to show up on. Um, on Nitro, and then they were going to work a storyline right into it, which was brilliant. And, I mean, for Vince, it was, a, it was a good win. Yeah, you had to think he did his billionaire strut walking into the office to Absolutely. sign those paperwork. Now, uh, so, you know, we had the opening promo with Vince McMahon, which led into the actual opening segment for WCW itself, which was none other than the Nature Boy... Ric Flair, woo, the greatest of all time. Yep. Coming to the ring to cut what was, I, I, I don't know what he was on at this time, mm-hmm. but it, it had to be something good because he, this was one of the most impassioned promos I, you, know, you could really ever see. Mm-hmm. There, and- there's moments where he lost his mind throughout, and but he just, it was insane. And you could tell probably 100% that he was really given no left or right limits. He, they said, hey, you're going to go out and cut a promo. Do whatever the hell you want. Do Be as passionate as you want. Take as long as you want because he took a minute too. So oh, yeah. anything that Flair wanted to say, he got the chance to say. He was very passionate, but he was clearly – I mean, he, he honestly, he looked like he was on something, but it didn't matter because it made it better than if he would have been sober probably. But yeah, and he, his promo, he, he did a good job of putting over all the talent mm. in WCW. You know, he, he put over guys like like Buff Bagwell, like Steiners, both the Steiners, like Booker T, Sting. And he definitely put over Sting, calling him the greatest competition he's ever faced, mm-hmm. bar none, and even called him out for a match later on that night, which was very apropos for, for the final uh, WCW Nitro to have its main event be the exact same main event that happened uh, from the very first right. Nitro, Love which it. is something that's always talked about, is that how Nitro started and then finished with Sting and Flair. And, you know, you had 
you had your moment in the first WCW Nitro where Luger came out. Right. Then you have your moment on the very last Nitro where Shane McMahon comes out, but that that's something that we'll get to once we get to that main event segment. But you know, you had you had the Ric Flair promo where he just he absolutely was out of his mind, but just gave just a, a rousing, you know, rally the troops kind of speech, mm-hmm. saying that Vince McMahon claims that he he's holding WCW in his hands, and so he starts reeling off some of the greatest champions and of WCW history, saying does does Vince really think he can hold them in his hands? And the only thing I could really think when I was, you know, watching this is that, you know, even watching it, you know, the second time, it's like, you know, you, you look back and you go, oh, there's no way Flair's gonna, you know, defect to, and, and spend any time with WWE after a promo like this. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those sad things where where Flair was one of those that just always kept coming back. And most of these guys, I don't have to say most, though. it seems like the majority of at least the roster that was here on this card ended up in WWE contractually from this transition or a little bit later down the road, which is fine to see because some of these guys we really like, some of them we don't really care for. But this was passionate enough to make you think that, well, fuck, he might be done with wrestling because he was very real. And a lot of the, a lot of the realness, there was a lot of realness throughout this entire episode, especially from from commentating from Tony Schiavone and Scott Hudson throughout. They were both... Right. Very, very concerned with are we are we literally going to have a job because they they probably honestly didn't know shit, so they knew what they were supposed to say certain things they were supposed to put over Vince McMahon and the buy and all this stuff but after aside from that they probably didn't know honestly anything so they were very passionate as well and wanted to, to call these matches pretty well. I'm pretty sure the one thing that they were told to put over was the simulcast because that was mentioned no less than like 15 times. Mm-hmm. During during the entire night, in an hour and a half, they they just kept mentioning simulcast, simulcast, because that had to have been a big deal for WWE. That had to have been one of those things where they were like, "This is going to really put us, you know, over the top." Is if we not only are we having our own show, but we're forcing our competition to be on our show also. And I imagine it was probably I don't want to say difficult, but maybe something that was very rarely done to because that's two different brands we're talking, two different network brands that we're talking about that Vince was able to pull this off with. So that was probably a hard enough thing in itself that they wanted to try and sell and get over that Vince has the power to be on two different networks, major networks at the same exact time. So why not put it over? Exactly. And they really did a very good job. The segments that they, they, they they could have done better with some of the segments, but it was leading into WrestleMania 17. WrestleMania 17 was just right around the corner and you had the uh, Shane McMahon versus Vince uh, storyline that they were building to, uh, which involved Trish Stratus being Vince's, you know, mistress, and I, that was the same WrestleMania where they had uh, sedated Vin, uh, Linda McMahon, correct? Right, she hops up out of the wheelchair. Yeah, so uh, they were trying to weave a lot of those WrestleMania storylines, just involving the McMahon family, into this WCW Nitro. And it found its way in the beginning, throughout the middle, and even at the end, because you just talked about Shane McMahon, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. He was throughout this this entire broadcast because, again, I, I definitely think it was a piece of gloating that he wanted to, to definitely throw over on some of these diehard WCW fans that kind of put it in their face. And he did a pretty good job of it. Yeah, he did. And uh, I was very impressed with what he was able to pull off throughout the night with the simulcast on two different networks. Uh, but after we had the uh, Ric Flair promo and you know Sting call out, 
Uh, Ric Flair leaves the ring, and I, I believe the next segment, uh, the next you know big segment was the and they, and they talked about how there were going to be five title matches. All the matches had title implications, and so the very next match, you know, kind of early in the card. Not sure why they didn't save this for last or to go on before Flair and Sting, but it was Booker T versus Scott Steiner. Booker T, your U.S. champion, uh, going up against Scott Steiner, who was the world heavyweight champion in a unification bout. So I think this was definitely used for kind of get the crowd up and excited and ready to go because you saw the writing on the wall. Booker T's going to win. You, I mean, you can kind of sense that the faces are going to go over on a lot of this stuff. And every single match was short. So, oh, yeah. So this one started off, albeit Steiner wasn't 100%, but he was good enough to work a match. But every match on here was really short. So they wanted to start this one off with getting the crowd excited, although there were probably less than 1,000 people, it seemed like, around that whole goddamn ring. But get uh, get Booker T the title, get 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 the crowd into it for the the hour that's really left on, on this show and the rest of the matches to come. Well, well, they couldn't they have accomplished? Couldn't they have accomplished that with the cruiserweights? I, I have have the cruiserweight three way dance tag team three way dance happen as your first match. Oh, they could have. I, th- to go I along think with that would have been traditionally an easy way to get the crowd up and going, but. Let's, let's look at the names on this card, man. There's not a whole lot of big names because we talked about this, and it's worth mentioning now, how there are not a lot of big names left in WCW at this point, and especially on this show and even the months leading up to it. There's no DDP. There's no The Stroke. There's no Nash and Hall. Oh, don't act like Jeff Jarrett is a big name. Don't. You're diminishing him. World fucking champ. I am. World I champ. Absolutely. World champ. Yeah, who was booking at the time? And Gold, Goldberg, Dusty Rhodes. None of these guys were here, so why not use a guy who you think is going to be the next big guy in Booker T and get him over from the beginning? So why well, I like it. Yeah, and I, I understand what what you're talking about with the placement of it to to get the crowd pumped. And there really were Scott Steiner and Booker T, uh, besides Flair and Sting, were the last remaining big names in WCW because everyone else has t- took their ball and went home at right. this point. Right. Nash and Hall, they were gone. Uh, Goldberg was gone. Uh, all these guys were just like, we we don't have to show up. You're going to still pay us. Yeah. So, you, you know, you wish you would have those kind of names on your very last broadcast just, just for there being some kind of hope to, you know, continue on. Because like you had mentioned, the, the announcers spend the entire night wondering – you know, if if they've really lost lost their job, they mentioned a few times. Tony Schiavone, you know, continually mentioned like, is this really the end for us? You know, WCW is over. You know how much how much he loved WCW, but you have your none of your top guys are there. Yeah. And then you have your world championship match being the first match of the night. That just goes to show. What what was going on with WCW at the time? The extreme lack of depth that they had throughout the card, that they would have to put their world championship match right away with it, with an ailing Scott Steiner was your champion. So the match itself was just a very sluggish match. Uh, Scott Steiner had a foot injury at the time, and it's something that also affected him in his WWE run. He he just couldn't move. He couldn't really do anything. Mm-hmm in the ring it was, it was kind of tough to watch and you kind of feel bad for booker t because booker t always wants to put on a good show you know you can always 
you know, respect Booker T for his passion for the business and, you know, never, never, never giving up. And it was just tough for him to put on a good match with someone that was injured. And you just had to know Scott was not pleased with having to drop the title. No, and especially in a match that went about five minutes. And Booker T was at probably the apex of his career. He was definitely the best that he ever was around this time in the year, maybe after or so, when he was still at the top of the card in WWE. And Scott Steiner was not, because Steiner had been around for a bit. He Obviously, early 90s with the Steiner Brother tag team stuff. So he'd, he'd had some more mileage than Booker T did. And this match, I'm sure neither of them really liked Steiner. I can't imagine he wanted to drop the title, honestly. No. You can, you know that he'd want to be the guy to either take the damn thing home with him or be the guy who shows up one day at a Raw holding that damn thing and the U.S. title in his hands. But that wasn't the decision. I loved that it went to Booker T, for sure. But the match, the match was not really good. We saw a couple uh, big moves by Booker T. A Northern Lights suplex out of nowhere by Scott Steiner, which looked sluggish because Booker T couldn't tuck himself right because they're both way too big to be pulling off moves like that. <laughs> and... He tried to kill Booker T with a like a lead or a steel pipe against the ring post. The the, the commentators really sold that. He tried to, to cut his head off. He tried to kill him. Well, he, no, he didn't. Let's, no. let's, let's calm down. No, I mean, come on. This you're, you're acting like this is not <laughs> fake or something. Right, but the match didn't go long. Obviously, not like none of these none of these did. And uh, big pop though for Booker T, as it should have been. Oh yeah, the crowd loved Booker T. Uh, you know, he was definitely the guy in w, in WCW. Uh, if WCW would have continued on, he was definitely the future. He would have been at the top of the card, you know, for years to come. He would have probably won the title another, you know, four or five times. Yeah, you know, I, I think he for sure would have been a ten-time champion if WCW was still around. Yeah, but uh, g- good for him that he was able to leave the last Nitro, leave WCW period as the world heavyweight champion. It, c- it couldn't have happened to. A, a better wrestler and just a better all-around person. Right, but at the same time, I think it's fair that there is a lack of options at this <laughs> point for the guy that they know will probably go over to WWE and carry the title. So, had there been somebody more willing, like a DDP or a Goldberg, you know, the title is going to go on them more than it, it's probably going to be for Booker. wasn't a wasn't a good match. wasn't really even a decent match. But hey, it served its purpose. It got Booker T over. Uh, the next match on the card was a pretty fun match all in all. It was they they were talking about, you know, with this being the Night of Champions. Uh, one of the one of the titles WCW decided to create, which was really in retrospect, you know, a terrible idea and one of the reasons they were really tanking was just continually trying to add new titles. And one of those titles was the Cruiserweight Tag Team title. And uh, this next match that we had was a, a three-way dance to get a shot at the Cruiserweight Tag Team titles. Yeah, this was not a good idea. I mean, we, we enjoyed Cruiserweight wrestling, even Cruiserweight tag wrestling enough already. There's no need to put a, a tag team around it. You want to maybe put these guys up against other tag teams other like world tag team championship type matches like versus O'Hare and Palumbo in Canada and stuff like that. There's really no need for a cruiserweight title. So I, I hated it and it obviously didn't make its way into WWE. Thank God. But this match was very fun. That's the way I perceive a lot of these cruiserweight matches was they're just so damn fun to watch. Absolutely. And, uh, and your boy Kidman's in here. I know. I love, I love Billy Kidman. Right. Uh, another, you know, 
uh, there was a few notables in this match. You had Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, along with he was tagging with Billy Kidman at the time. You had uh, Shannon Moore and Evan Courageous, and then you had the the Dragons. So really, the, the talent was there. And you know, looking at and you're having a three way. Uh, like a triple threat match. I keep calling it a three-way dance. That's what WCW always called their yeah. their matches. They weren't triple threat or fatal four-ways. They were three-way dances, four-way dances. But uh, you, you had this match, and you had three fun cruiserweight tag teams, and it didn't even it didn't even last four minutes. So they no, had a didn't. lot that they had to yeah they had a lot that they had to cram in to the short amount of time to be able to have a passable match. Yeah, this match was really quick from the beginning. A lot of quick little spots. It wasn't a spot fest, but everyone was doing something at all times. And it happened really quick. It was like and kind of like an out-of-nowhere pin. Rey Mysterio got the pin, I think. And it didn't last long, but for, for the almost four minutes that it was, it was a lot of excitement, and putting these guys on the card was pretty good to see because they had been the, the best thing that they had going on the middle of the card at this time of WCW, which isn't saying a lot. But the cruiserweight guys, almost all of them, always put on good matches and were fun to watch. Well, really, the cruiserweights as a whole were the best thing to happen uh, throughout WCW's entire run. So, in in all honesty, the reason WCW probably lasted as long as it did was because of the work that the cruiserweights put in. So, and you definitely see that WCW kind of had that same mentality because three three of the matches that night were cruiserweight matches right because after this one you had the shane helms versus chavo guerrero match and then you had the second tag team match for the actual cruiserweight tag team championship so wcw was really you know kind of kind of showing off their cruiserweights and really throwing them a bone saying hey you guys you guys maybe didn't get us to the top but but you definitely kept us afloat and and we're gonna really you know show our appreciation for that all right and again i definitely say not nothing not taking anything away from them but there's a lack of options at the top of the card so you need really solid stuff in the beginning and the middle of it like these guys were doing because months a month prior to this dustin runnels was a main eventer on monday nitro gold dust so when that when that type of guy is going up against a jeff jarrett and there's feuds like that you really got to have some strong undercard like this to really pull together and i'm glad that they put them on this card like this in, in the majority of the matches so we could see a lot of the work because I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so so you had Rey Mysterio Jr. and Billy Kidman. Uh, Mysterio without a mask at the time. Uh, and Kidman wins, setting up their match with, uh, with uh, uh, was it uh, Skipper and Kid Romeo? Yeah, they were, the, they were the tag champs, yeah. Yeah, set up that match for later on in the night. But your next match, which was another Cruiserweight match, uh, Cruiserweight match for the actual Cruiserweight Championship with one of my favorite guys, really, of all time, Shane Helms, a really young sugar Shane Helms. Uh, he was definitely at the top Cruiserweight at the time, and he holds a victory over your boy, The Rock. He does, and I was going to mention that because that, that, that hurricane gimmick was, was hot stuff, man. And I really, Oh, yes. Really I was so it. into it. Oh, this my goodness. I was into it. the third time we brought this up throughout the podcast, but his choke slam was amazing yeah. to, to see. But he was. He was a, at this time, he was real young. He was dude. a super. He was. He was a, a super heavyweight, probably lifting up dudes like that with a choke slam. 
but he, <laughs> he was crash holly. He was so good as a cruiserweight, and he really was. was the the top guy. Had Billy Kidman wanted to get in this this uh, cruiserweight division a little bit more, he could have been the top guy still. But Shane Helms was just the right guy, and Chavo Guerrero always puts on good matches. And so this one was this one was pretty good as far as match quality goes. This was probably the best match of the night. Yeah, it was definitely the. Uh, it was almost. It was the second longest match. You know, was it five minutes? The, almost five. It, it was almost five minutes. Oh, okay, good. And uh, but but they used that time very wisely. There was a lot of good. Good. Both people got their offense in. You had mm. some good counters, and then you know, just like everything else, it just kind of ended on a dime with Shane Helms going over on Chavo Guerrero. Vertebreaker. Yes. Which was man, that was a, a sick looking move. Loved it, wasn't too. it? Chavo sold it well too. I love that thing. Oh man, and, and the announcers really sold it well. They they kept saying how no one's ever been able to get out of it, yeah. and then Chavo got out of it, no. and then got hit with it, and they were like, "Oh, it's over!" Like no one kicks out of that. Real sure good enough, match though, but damn, this one this one can't even make it five minutes. This was saying something, man. No. Uh, really, there were only two matches that went over five minutes: the the championship match between Booker T and Steiner, and the Sting and Flair match. No, which that one deserved to go, you know, longer. Yeah. But in between all these short matches, uh, you had a lot of talk about the simulcast. Uh, you had a lot of these WWE segments that bled into WCW, and it was mostly these backstage segments. Right. Uh. Really, that that was the whole show. It was just a bunch of short matches and a bunch of WWE segments. That was it. It was a lot of Vince McMahon. A whole lot of Vince McMahon. Which, do you blame the guy? Nope. I love it. He can do whatever I, he wants because he's yeah. won. So go out. You know, put, put your face out there as much as you can. Go ahead, Vince. All right. So our next match, which was probably the second worst match of the night <laughs> behind the match that came on after it. But it was uh, Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo, your tag team champions, going up against Team Canada of Mike Awesome and Lance Storm. And uh, me and you were, were talking about this as we were watching it. Just how, how much, you know, how awesome Mike Awesome was whenever he was in ECW. Yes. Just how terrible they booked him in WCW. He was, he was at one time, he was that 70s guy. In WCW, could have, could have been something legit at the top of the card, ah. but fucked him over. He never should have left ECW. But then again, that that was a that was that a was dwindling toxic, territory. Yeah, that was another toxic situation where people weren't. Get, I, I'd rather go to a place where I'm guaranteed to get paid, even if I'm not even there. Yeah, they have to pay me. Ugh. But yeah, Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo beating. Team Canada, uh, yet another face team beating the heels. And this Team Canada gimmick, that's where Lance Storm started his uh, can I be serious for a moment uh, gimmick. And everyone hated it. His lack of charisma was something very, very real. And uh, people just weren't even behind it as even a a heel thing that they wanted to try and buy. Was, Was that his gimmick, though? Was that he was so uncharismatic? Is that a gimmick? Can you make that well, into a gimmick? Because you, he, you, you take he your real did. life and you make it a gimmick, and there it's like, oh, yeah. it, it works. The crowd's hating it. Well, then no, they're just hating Lance Storm because he's terrible. He he's not terrible in the ring. He's, he's a good wrestler, but yeah, no, he's he's decent. 
He's a decent wrestler. And they go up against really two athletic dudes who were they were pretty good. O'Hare and, and Palumbo. Yeah, Palumbo O'Hare got did a, a good push off the top rope. A senton, flying yeah, senton. The Sean Shanton bomb, I think, is the what sh- is what it was <laughs> called. Not let less wantony. That's so terrible. But he was a huge dude that could just yes. fly around. And Palumbo got his work. I mean, we throughout we talked about this last night. He ended up. He gets he has a WrestleMania win with with the one Billy Gunn with their gay gimmick as a tag team champ at WrestleMania. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he was good enough to to be a guy like that. But I mean, the gimmick was not the best. But no, it, it was a really terrible gimmick. And you know, WWE and their infinite wisdom always finds a way to come up with just clunker of ideas. <laughs> that was definitely a clunker of an idea. And, and and it was such great booking on WCW's part to make two Canadians known as Team Canada, huh? That, that really works. <laughs> I I guess it does because they they were they were on the very last show. They were challenging for the tag team title. Somehow they, they were. They made it somehow. Mike Awesome, how how did you fall so far? <sighs> Sad story. Uh, his story is. A sad story. Both him and Sean, Sean O'Hare, O'Hare have yeah. have sad stories after this, but but yeah, I don't want to get into all of that. That's something that you know we've gotten into before, and you know I, I will probably do another episode where we talk about you know these kinds of incidents. But right. just talking about the wrestling itself, it was it was an okay match. I mean. You yeah. really weren't expecting much of anything, and it ended pretty quick. It barely made it to three minutes. Yeah, it was it was definitely rough at times, and there was clearly just a lack of coordination, it seemed like, through all the teams. They didn't really – I don't want to say they didn't care, but they clearly didn't put a whole lot of effort into it, and there's probably no chemistry. And, yeah, you don't you don't want to see Team Canada win this one. And they, and they, went, yeah. off, they went off the Shantan bomb off the top rope in a pin, and then, yeah, we're out of there on to the next one, which the next one is definitely Ooh. the worst, worst match of the night. Yeah, the best I don't part understand. Stacey Keebler. Yes, and I don't understand how this match even made it no. on the card. Like, at all. You have so many other options you can go with, and this is, is what you choose. And if you don't know what we're talking about, don't go back and watch it. No. You don't need to. You can skip this part. You could definitely skip this. In fact, you could probably skip the entire episode and just go off of what we're telling you. Well, hold on. Uh, Stacy Keebler's here, so she deserves yes. a talk. Young Stacy Keebler. Yes, yeah, Stacy Keebler was. Um, her, her legs. She was perfect at this time. One hundred percent perfect, and she was with Sean Stasiak at the time. They were a thing. Yeah. Uh, he was known as Mecca. She, yeah. Ugh. He even had it on his trunks. Good, Mecca. Good for him. This had this had a fucking stipulation to it too. That, yes. That the loser would was, get a tattoo. The loser gets a tattoo match. Like what? This, like, this, like when you... <laughs> this is perfect WCW booking. You have Viagra on a pole match. You have uh, Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. When you, you read have... this and it says loser gets a tattoo, you have to think like, how do they set this up? Where's no, the storyline? It like... says, and I, I'm reading it right now, not just stipulation loser gets a tattoo. It's called a loser gets a tattoo match. That's not a type of like as oh, if that okay. is a match that if you put on WWE 2K, you know 17, <laughs> that's one of the match stipulations you could you could do you could you could freaking oh, give man. Jinder Mahal a tattoo or something. Let's do it. This is <laughs> awful. Yes. 
amazing booking. Let's let's. I'm calling Vince after this. The best part, though, and this deserves talking, is they they let this match go a minute and damn it, I just had it a minute and twenty four seconds. So that's the best part. I don't know how Sean Stasiak fucking won, but nor do I care. I remember it was it was terrible. I think Stacy was involved, but whatever. Bam. For and especially for a guy like Bam Bam, let's talk about that for what a second. Like, did he, like, I don't. Bam Bam Bigelow, a former, albeit the, maybe one of the worst WrestleMania main events ever, a former WrestleMania headliner, man. Main eventer. He main evented. He, he fought Lawrence fucking Taylor, and and he was a former ECW World Champion. Right. So this is legit. Bam Bam, obviously extremely athletic dude, and he's highly regarded by everybody. How do you put? How do you do this to a guy like that? Against Sean Stasiak, who was a nobody, who was a nobody before this in WWF when he remember he lost Kurt Angle's debut match. I remember that at Survivor Series. I had to plug that real quick. But yeah, how do you do this to Bam Bam, man? Uh, why even put Bam Bam out there? He he didn't look good. Nope. He he looked much more out of shape than he usually did. Super fat. Yeah. And you're going to put him in a match that doesn't even last two minutes against mm. a guy like Sean Stasiak, maybe just to get Stacy Keebler out there, I assume. I hope so. But, yeah, that's the only thing I could think of, Bubs, because this match was just, like, just take it off the card. It's only a minute, 24 seconds. Give me, just, give, give me, me more flair Give me promo. Dustin Runnels. Give me something else. Like, put Jeff Jarrett on the card at this point. Like, what the fuck? Uh, stop bringing him up. I can't. He's a world champion. <laughs> a terrible one. But so, anyway. was, so was Mikey Whipwreck. But I digress. Oh. Let's, let's get out of this and move, let's move on to the second to last match, which was for I have the, not drank enough for you to bring up stuff like that. I'm sorry. Let's bring it back. Let's wrap it around. The <laughs> yeah. Cruiserweight Tag Team Championship match between Mysterio Jr. and Kidman against Skipper and Kid Romeo. And this one went about almost five minutes, right? Uh, yeah, about five. Four minutes and 43 seconds uh, between Rey Mysterio and Kidman, like you said, against Skipper and Romeo. Uh, and once again, you have your faces, Mysterio and Kidman, going over uh, the champions to become your new WCW Tag Team Champion, Cruiserweight Tag Team Champions, yeah. for a title that means nothing, should have never been invented, and it was just, damn it, WCW? Yeah, well, for the first time, we have a damn it WCW <laughs> reference, which will lead perfectly when we do our next show because we will be talking about the history of WCW. So that will yes. come up significantly. But yes, for the WCW Cruiserweight Tag Team Championship match. But uh, this match was, it wasn't bad. All four of these guys were, they worked good enough for almost five minutes, some pretty good spots, a, a real good ending for Kidman and Mysterio. And not bad for having it right at the end of the card, too, right before the main event. I think that's nice. Again, showing a little respect to some of the guys that carried your damn brand when you don't know how to properly maintain top-of-the-card guys over years. So really good idea there. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, it's another one of those fan service matches where it's like, hey, you guys go out there, do some of your you know, big cruiserweight things you know, that you guys like to do. Uh, the thing about the cruiserweight division back then is it wasn't. they weren't, like you said, spot monkeys at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they they went out, they did some high-flying stuff, but it all made sense. It all kind of involved, wrapped itself into the story. Every move had a purpose. And so, you know, these matches were really good and probably 
all these matches were the best part of the show. These cruiserweight matches. Um, but yeah, definitely not a title that you really cared about or really needed to see defended on the last episode of Monday Nitro. No, yeah, supposed to be. This is supposed to be your showcase. You know, this is supposed to be your series finale, where you know you're supposed to put it, put all your big guns out there, and then you, you realize WCW didn't have any. Right, and th- they did not have many big guns. That's for sure. But they they definitely showcased guys like Kidman and Mysterio, who had been doing a lot of good work for a good a good amount of time at this point, <clears throat> and both go on to have uh, much successful careers, especially both, even Mysterio now still in the ring, my God, and Kidman doing production shit. So the title was irrelevant, but having uh, especially those two late in the card was really nice. Yeah, and both of those guys have really, not only were they the hallmark of WCW's cruiserweight division, and I really loved Kidman uh, at the time. Uh, I really enjoyed his time in uh, part of Raven's Flock. His his finishing move, the seven year itch, because because he never showered. It's a shooting star for press. seven years. Yeah, uh, that was his gimmick. Was that Raven never allowed him to shower? I guess. Yeah. Looking back, that was so goddamn stupid. But I love <laughs> I the flop. I, I was about. I like me some Raven. I prefer ECW Raven more than I do WCW Raven. But I know you love the guy, and I. This is where I was like, this Kidman guy is really good in the ring, and then. When he finally broke away, I was all about him even more than that. But, yeah, he didn't show. <laughs> How could you have your gimmick be wearing rat- ratty clothes and not showering for <laughs> years? That's your thing. And, and you go, wow, that's a great idea. That This will definitely get me over. Yeah. But Raven was so over at the time that, really, he could have done anything. And just anyone being associated with him. Yeah, that's how, that's how it works. Oh yeah, kind of like but, a, kind of like part of the uh, faction mentality of the factions over, or the leader of the factions over. We're going to bring in other guys to take advantage of that and put guys over. That worked. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that when we talk about the history of WCW because that's a huge mm-hmm. factor. We will in talk the about history. it in depth on there. Not right now. No, because that I don't have time. Not, My no, God, I don't have enough alcohol to talk about that. But, uh, uh, yeah, so Mysterio and Kidman get the win over. Pretty good, quick little match. Not too shabby, and it leads us into, a, I think, a Vince promo. Is this when he gets in the ring, or is this on to the next match? No, it, it's on to the next match. The Vince thing is the final, your final segment. Okay, that's right. It's a pretty long promo he does, too. Yeah, it's yeah. about a 20-minute promo. Good. But your next match is your final match, and it's between... <clears throat> between sting and rick flair you know their their final their big final match you know they started off you know on the very first nitro and you know and they're they're there on the very last nitro yeah this this match was it this was a nostalgia moment the match was both guys doing what they normally do you see flair you know flop flopping down on his face trying to be a little cowardy heel type stuff and sting just getting soaked in by the crowd it was almost. I thought it was a, like a ten minute match, but I'm sure it didn't go even nearly nearly that. Looking back, but this yeah, was, it was about seven minutes long. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. So it was just nostalgia. Ric Flair wearing a WCW Nitro shirt in the ring. I yes. Love, I love that for the entire match. I absolutely love that. And he came out. I think he had his robe on, but he had the damn shirt on underneath it. Yes. So absolutely. It was very. I, I like that about what what Flair was doing. You could tell that he was truly passionate about the brand because he'd been in and out of it. 
in different ways. And back when territories were around and the NWA was running shit still. So it was, I, I like this. We knew Sting was going to go over. You don't, you know, he's going to beat Ric Flair. And I like the match because we saw both guys doing some pretty good stuff, but nothing but nostalgia. It's all this was. But really, watching this match and going back and watching some older Sting matches, I hate to say this because I was such a huge Sting fan mm-hmm. as a kid, but the guy really only had – like people talk about John Cena not having a moveset or Roman Reigns not having a moveset. All Sting did was you know, jumping splashes on the turnbuckle and overhead presses. That is extremely fair to say, and I've noticed that too. Looking thank back. you, but, thank you for agreeing with but me. But regardless, you and I both don't hate Cena like everyone else does. No, so I, I love Cena. Fact, I, I I enjoy Roman, and Sting is one of my top five, you know, wrestlers as a kid. Yeah, and I I think that his lack of moves was easily made up for by his charisma and his ability to draw in the crowd and his ring psychology a hundred percent. So even if he had one goddamn move and nothing but a bunch of forearm punches, it would not matter because he would still suck you into the match in a way that you would sit there and watch him get his ass beat with his one move for 20 minutes, and then he'd come out the winner with the Scorpion Deathlock at the end. So you could still watch everything he does. Yeah, absolutely. There's never a Sting match where you're like, oh, this is just so boring just because he only does these moves. It's just the way he does it. Like you said, his charisma alone carries him. You know, throughout his entire career, like he he he's one of those guys who can rest on his laurels, just because he is so, god gosh darn charismatic. Yeah, and he goes up against the best ever in Ric Flair here. I'm glad Flair put him over. And Flair can he, get anybody over. Let's right, be honest. Not that Sting needed over, but back in '92 when he put Sting over for the title, yeah, that is putting somebody over. This was two of the greatest and probably the two best WCW guys, NWA guys, whatever you want to call it, ever going at it again, and it was really a nostalgic finish to, I guess, bring a little emotion and uh, make people look back on how successful the business had been and where it started, and then to go out like this was was pretty good. Match could have gone on. I would have watched this match for 30 minutes because they both probably could have went 30 minutes if they wanted, but even they made it short because they knew, I'm sure they were told that there's going to be an 80-fucking-hour promo after this <laughs> by, by Vince, so look out. Yeah, so so after this match, Sting puts Flair in the Scorpion Death Lock. Flair Flair doesn't really tap; he just gives like a verbal submission. You know, he does yep. his little head shake thing, and the ref calls it Charles Robinson. And so, yep, and so they they embrace, and, and it's funny when when you see Ric Flair get into the ring for the first time. Charles Robinson, uh, you you could see them talking to each other. At least Charles Robinson talking to Flair, mm-hmm. probably saying, you know, this is you deserve this. This is your moment kind of thing Loved but it. yeah a- after after that match you know of course they sting helps flare up and they embrace in the middle of the ring which, which, which was very good to see because these are your two staples these are your two you know rocks yeah. essentially like they are the they are the foundations that held your company together for for years and you know your two top main event draws of all time and you know to have 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 it go out with those two, you know, you couldn't have, you, you couldn't have scripted that part any better. No. And regardless of, even if they had the best roster at this time, these two would have still been the last match to go on as they should have been, regardless of who's holding the title, no matter who's the biggest guy, these guys would have been the last two to put on 
the the last match because it's perfect. You start with them as your main event way back, and you end with them all these years later. It's just kind of meant to be in a way, and it definitely shouldn't have gone any other way. All right, and then after this match, as you've been alluding to, was a ridiculously long, gloating promo by Vince McMahon in the middle of the ring. Uh, this was one of those simulcast moments where it was both on WCW Nitro and WWF Raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vince McMahon was talking about how he, you know, beat his competition. He he stayed the course. He he beat them. He bought his competition. The, the WCW is in the palm of his hands, and you know, was talking about the contract, saying, you know, Vince McMahon owns WCW, and then that's when you get uh, really the big moment of the entire show uh the music hits and at the time shane was using vince mcmahon's music Mm -hmm. uh really would have been great if he was using the here comes the money thing at this point yeah could you imagine now would be huge oh absolutely because shane is so over now yep and he was shane has always been over i don't think there was a time where shane wasn't over he was only perceived as a heel because he was you know, part of the corporation or just hanging on his dad's coattails. He was never really hated. I don't think. No. And just because of what he put himself through, like he, he deserves everything that he gets in his life. Right. All the good that he gets. I, I don't mean if he like comes down with some kind of disease that he deserves. That. <laughs> I'm just saying. If he gets cancer, oh, he deserved it. Clearly. No. <laughs> Not what I'm getting at folks. But before we, before but, we bring that up, I want to ask you something okay. about, when uh when Vince starts naming off some of the big WCW stars, right? And he's asking the crowd for thumbs up or thumbs oh, down to I some will, guys. Yes, I wanted to talk to you about this too. Okay, so you need to explain to me, and I will wait for your answer. Let's why see. the hell was Buff Bagwell? Buff over? Bagwell! Oh my God, he was so. The crowd went. I, I'm pretty sure he got the second biggest pop. He did. Why was Behind he Sting. over? He, he almost got as big of a pop as Sting. Right, and Goldberg got a big one too, and a couple other guys got mediocre ones. But Vince mentioned, he's like, Buff Bagwell. And the crowd's yeah, like, yeah. Like, Give us Buff. Me, can you tell me why? Because he's buffing the stuff? <laughs> we, we want Judy. No, I can't. We want Judy. I've, I've, and I've watched a lot of WCW from back Buff in Bagwell this time. Was terrible. He was atrocious. Hell of a guy, because I met him at that convention. Not gonna lie. Oh yeah. Hell of yeah. a dude. Still in sh- still in good shape. But well, yeah, because he's a juggalo now. Yeah. J- j- Make, not a, a juggalo. Ju- he, uh, he, doesn't to- <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't listen. He doesn't listen to ICP. Get your shit together. <laughs> he, on weekends, he wears face paint <laughs> and goes to ICP concerts. I can't. But okay, so you, you seem to be <laughs> deflecting the question. Do you not have a good answer for why Buff was over? The only – I don't. I he Okay, so he was a very charismatic person. Sure, you sure. Know, definitely had that going for he him. He could talk a little bit, yeah. A little bit. He wasn't great. Nope, but his he, he was willing ability, to do it. Yeah, his in-ring ability wasn't good. He had a cool cool finisher. The blockbuster was a cool finisher. That wasn't bad, yeah. Uh, but really, the only thing I could think of is that back then, all you had to do was say ridiculous things and you became – really over because that's that's how scott steiner got main event level over mm-hmm. and his physique well, i mean he he was genetic freak he, genetic freak yeah try a freaking 
yeah, never mind. I, I don't want to talk about you know different substances people used. Mm. Get like that. But anyway. Anyway, I, I can't answer your question. I don't know why Buff Bagwell was so over. Okay, I was just wondering because he named off you know several people, and some of them got mediocre, but this and that, and then Goldberg, Sting, and Buff seemed to get real good reactions. So I was just Doesn't, wondering if you were a huge Buff fan, and I was missing out on something that I just I was, didn't know about. I was not a big Buff fan, Bubs. Sorry, okay. but yeah, so yeah, so we get to Shane McMahon though, and he he does appear in Florida. Yeah, he's actually there in. Uh, at WCW in Florida, and he he tells Vince, he goes, yes, the contract does have McMahon on it. And at this point, you already know what's coming. I yep. knew what was coming. Oh, yeah. It says Shane McMahon. And it was at this point where I was like, oh, WCW may have a chance. Like they, right, that, as a little kid, yeah. Yeah, that that's why I watched the, like, the next week just to see if it came on. Because oh. I was like, and then it didn't come on. I was like, "Oh, it must take time for him to, you know, set up the show." Right. He owns it. I'll give it another week. Yeah, no, I'm just an idiot. Yeah, you are. You're you were a dumb child. I was. We all were. Yeah. Let's be fair. And you started watching more WWF at the time. Yes, I. That's this is when I switched over to WWF. Once I knew WCW was definitely not coming back. With it was not without a lack of trying. Hmm. But and as soon as uh, Shane says that, you get and Vince says no more words. He just has this look on his face of complete awfulness, of like I mean I think he oversold it a bit, honestly. A little bit, and uh, he always did. Of course, Jr. and and Lawler were definitely selling it as well, and the crowd was all about it too. This is such a I'm so glad that they they did a storyline plug with this buy of WCW because it was awesome. Obviously, the invasion thing turned to shit. Because that, oh, was, was, that was terrible. But the idea to do this, especially because they were real close to WrestleMania at this point. So this was really good to get more people onto Shane. And, of course, Shane ends up winning at WrestleMania and beating his dad anyway. But this was a very good start to something that could have been a lot better. The Invasion storyline, I mean. But uh, we're not going to talk about that. But I, I still I still like Shane McMahon showing up. It was very clever on their part. And, and you have to really feel like bad for the WCW faithful because you know guys like Tony Schiavone and the guys in the back have to mm-hmm. be like you know are, are our job saved like is this you know is this really happening like am I gonna get to work next week but you know I, I'm sure you know the announcers maybe knew but you know hearing you know reports and you know reading interviews and stuff about the guys backstage they had no idea what was going to happen Right, and that had to be a terrible feeling. You can, you can. I'm sure some of them were mildly confident that there's no way they're going to let me go, and that's that was probably the case for some people. But some of those lower card guys, maybe the commentators. I don't, yeah. mean, I don't mean to mention it again, but obviously Jeff Jarrett knew he was not going back to WWF because oh, there was no relationship there anymore. So they had to had to be an awful feeling, and if they didn't know that Shane was even coming, just to see him show up had to be such a final stab to see a McMahon on their broadcast knowing that they don't have a job after tonight, you know? It was definitely some genius storytelling on WWE's part, but also just the ultimate, like you said, just shot in the gut where you're like, yep, this is my, this has been my life. Uh, I chose this side. I've chosen wrong and my career is done. Right. 
just just an awful awful moment for the WCW guys, but a, an amazing moment for the WWF guys, and an amazing bit of storytelling by WWF. Unfortunately, it it didn't turn out that great, and that's something that we'll definitely talk about in later episodes. But all in all, the show itself was a dud. But that that last segment definitely made it a memorable show. Right. This one is definitely memorable. Not necessarily just because it's the last episode and all the all the WCW guys always re- remember the remember the number two eighty eight. That's how many nitros they did. This one was was driven by nostalgia. Was driven by WWF storytelling and held together by cruiserweight matches as they had been for years. And again. A lack of true depth of talent at the top of the card. The story of WCW's life. And we will get into that a lot more in our next episode. It's going to be a storytelling of the WCW going back a few years. We'll get into some of the terrible shit. We'll definitely talk about some of the good. So look forward to that one as well. Yeah, so this has been, you know, it's been a fun going back and watching this final episode of Nitro. Something that I accidentally watched as a kid. It was definitely fun going back and and knowing knowing what was going on at the time and watching it again from a different perspective and uh, being able to talk about it and really work through some of the, some of the things that were going on and then, and then what happened afterwards. But we'll definitely get into the afterwards part later on and also the before part uh, in an upcoming episode. But this has been the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast where we talked about the final episode of WCW Nitro. Um, really the last show for WCW period. Uh, if you like what you heard, go ahead and give us a like, a subscribe, uh, leave a review, a good review for us over on the iTunes. Uh, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio. If you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on Facebook. Just look up Collar and Elbow Wrestling. Uh, also, you can find us on Twitter at CAE Wrestling. And on Instagram, uh, just leave a comment, send us a tweet. We'll be, we love having conversations about wrestling and just bringing in more people to add to our conversations. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, uh, go ahead and let us know on our Facebook and Twitter. Uh, as always, we do this for the love of wrestling, and together we can make wrestling great again.